course, God knows everything about you, period. You know, I mean, he knows how many hairs, you know, Chris Engelworth has on his head, right? Which is less than, you know, Brian Nunn's and Doug's. And somehow God's given some people hair and others hat, but that's, that's neither here nor there, right? <laughs> yeah. You can get a hair transplant, right? <laughs> Anyways, come on, y'all, loosen up. <laughs> Anyways, but there's a place in God where God asks us to let him know us. That's what intimacy is. You could, and he wants you to be at that place in your life where you're inviting him to know you. And to know you not from the perspective that he knows everything already, but that you are letting him know you. Some shocking things that are going to happen in your life. Because when God knows you, you begin to know yourself. Okay, and that's where the shock comes. You're going to find out some things about yourself that are not going to make you really happy. Okay, in other words, there's some things we cannot see about ourselves. Okay, until God sees them, until we allow him to see them. See, that's the beauty and the tragedy of intimacy, if, if you could say tragedy. Uh, is when we, when the Lord begins to know us, we begin to know ourselves, and we begin to see things in ourselves that we could never see apart from Him seeing it. And when, because He begins to reveal to us what He sees about us, and and at first it can really throw you off because you begin to see things about yourself that you really uh, didn't know were there. You may have subconsciously known it, but you weren't conscious, and. But here's what I suggest you do when you find yourself in that, because it can be a little bit discouraging and a distraughting thought that, you know, I've been a Christian almost 40 years, and that's going on inside of me, and I'm just now seeing it. But what it is is God will always bring you to the root of things, and it's the thing that is all wrapped up inside of you that he wants to unravel, okay, and, and make right, to unravel the ball of stuff, the twisted thoughts and thinking and things that are in you that's creating other fruit in your life. And that's so important for us as believers to allow that to happen because that's part of what the Bible declares being transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's part of this transformation process and growing up into the image of Christ that's in us. But without allowing intimacy, Him seeing into us, we can never engage on that level. Does that make sense? But I, I guess my concern, you know, my concern about myself is the Lord, I'm just telling on myself, has shown me some stuff about myself that completely threw, I was stunned when I realized it. And it, it was like I said to the Lord, I don't know what to do about this, Lord. I, what can I do about this? And really the answer is you can, you can recognize it and you can let me do something about it. You can let me have my way in there and fix this thing and, and when I begin to, when he he begins to fix the root in your, of problems in your life, the fruit begins to change, because we spend so much time working on fruit and trying to make fruit right and trying to do right that we're not fixing the cause of it. This, you know, Arthur Burt used to have this thing about the spider and the spider web. You know, you can knock the spider web down every day, but there's a little spider that goes back and keeps rebuilding it, and that's what happens to a lot of believers. We knock the spider webs down, but we never get rid of the spider. And God wants to get rid of the spider, take the spider out of our life. And so I believe intimacy is the key, is into me see. Lord, into me see into my heart. Lord, see into my life. I, I ask you to. And as you do that, help me to, to respond to you when you begin to reveal the things in there that are, are hurtful and harmful to me and which means they're hurtful and harm to other people I'm around because if it's, hurt, if it's hurting me, it's, it's hurting other people. You know, that's why I hurt people hurt people. It's because they have things in them. Amen? So that's just a little tidbit. All right, so this morning we're talking about this. Here's the, t the title of my message is How Lovely Is Your Dwelling Place? Isn't that a great title which actually comes out of the Bible, Psalm 84? Uh, I'll read that in a few minutes, but... What I wanted to do is just talk about the last dwelling place in the Bible is the church, okay? And Jesus said in Matthew sixteen eighteen, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail 
against my church. It's kind of fetish to not like the church, okay? Uh, that's a bad fad, I think, because Jesus loves the church. The problem we have with the church is the church is not complete. It's being built. It's not a complete thing. And it would be like a house that was under construction, uh, and people were expecting it to be one way, and when they saw it, it didn't meet their expectations. Therefore, they rejected it. And so I think we have to really have a heart, the Father's heart, about the body of Christ, about the church. The church, uh, Peter said, First uh, Peter 2, 5, you, I didn't put these up there because they were just, I've given them so many scriptures, they're probably sick of me. You also as living, stone, living stones are being built up to a spiritual house. Okay, being built to a spiritual So the church is made up of individual people, Jesus Christ being the, the cornerstone. So we have some guarantees about the church. Okay, and I could really give you some guarantees out of the Bible about the glorious church that God will have in the earth. Okay, and so what God wants to do is give us that kind of view of the church. It's like when I look, look in the mirror, I may not see what God sees about me, but I do agree with what God sees about me. Uh, a little boy, that little boy we just dedicated to Isaac, he's a, he has the seeds in him, he has the DNA in him to be a man. Right this if Okay, he's a, he's a man, he's got man stuff in him, but he's a little boy right now. He's not grown into manhood yet, but the time will come when he will grow into manhood. Okay, and God, the time will come when the church will be glorious in the earth. And so we don't want to be people today in our, our looseness, in our worldly, uh, immature attitudes towards the body of Christ. Because I think that's, that's what I hear that's coming from people. And it's a lack of revelation. It's a lack of truth, okay, that people find fault. See, I can find fault with me all day long, okay, I'm a stone in the church. You're a stone in the church. The fault in the church is us. It's because we haven't come in to everything that Christ has called us to come into. Are y'all following that? So there's a, there's a certain amount of patience, there's a certain amount of grace that we all need for the church. And there's, there's revelation that we need about the church. If you look in uh, the, one of the greatest revelations that will help you about church is uh, have a revelation of the kingdom of God. Because when Paul talks about the church in Ephesians, the first thing he talks about is us being, being citizens of a kingdom, then members of a household of God. And so when we begin to get... The, a person who has a true revelation of the kingdom of God has a great revelation of the church. A person who has a real revelation of the kingdom loves the church. You can tell what kind of revelation if a person really has a kingdom heart. Because I've heard people who say they have a revelation of the kingdom, and they, that's why they don't really care for the church. And it's like... Your, your words are de deceiving you. It's not, it's not biblical. It's not really what the Scripture really tells us. Okay, so what I wanted to do um, is, Lord bless you, okay? Lord, give us eyes to see each other, the beauty of the Lord in each other. Amen? Instead of seeing the wrong in people, see the beauty in people. See, see the good in them. See the Christ in them. That's such an important thing. So what I wanted to do um, is I wanted to take you through the book of Psalms, okay? And give you, because the book of Psalms is loaded with, you know, it's, it's a picture. It's a, it's a panoramic view of, of certain spiritual things, okay? And one of those things you will find is the church, that's hidden, embedded in the book of Psalms. That's very powerful. So I want to just sort of show you this little progression because the, the progression is important. The revelation is important. In Psalm 1, uh, 1 through 2, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, uh, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So we could say, you know, let's don't be scornful towards the church, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So here's the beginning of the book of Psalms, is the psalmist is, is extolling the law. Isn't that interesting? 
He is saying, you know, this is the key of life, is to meditate, to, to, to look into this perfect law of liberty. And as you do that, you're going to be like, it goes on, you're going to be like a tree, and he brings this river up, which is the Holy Spirit. You're going to be like a tree that's planted in the, into this river of the Spirit that flows in the earth. Remember, the Holy Spirit river is in the earth everywhere. It's, you know, and it's just that. So he, that's how he begins. But... What's interested in, he begins it with, with the meditation in the Word, the law, and he talks about this Holy Spirit River, and then he shifts into something else in Psalm 2, which I find to be kind of fascinating. Uh, Psalm 2, verse 7, I will declare the, the, the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Isn't that powerful? And then in verse 12 it says, kiss the son. So immediately the psalmist shifts into this revelation of the Son of God, of Christ. And so the Psalms begin to paint this picture of Christ, and I just wanted to uh, read a few of these verses that are really powerful, powerfully impacted. Psalm 8, verse 4 through 5. What is man that you are mindful of him? Y'all know this from the book of Hebrews, right? And the Son of Man that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Isn't that powerful? Psalm 6, now we're painting a picture. That's what I want you to do and get in your mind. You're painting, the psalmists have painted a picture for us. They're beginning to develop a picture of something that the Lord wants us to see. For you will not, verse, Psalm 16, verse 10, You will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. That's powerful, isn't it? Remember, uh, David quoted that, or that's quoted in Acts. David quoted it, that, that Psalm 16, they, and they, uh, Peter quoted that in his first message at, at Pentecost. Very powerful. Then Psalm 22, verse 1, which is one of the great psalms in the Bible because it's known as the crucifixion song, psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isn't that powerful? And then Psalm 23, uh, which a lot of people don't really catch this, Psalm 23 is literally the death psalm of Jesus. It's the burial psalm of Jesus. And, it, of course, it begins with, The Lord is my shepherd. And then in verse 5, is though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. And, you know, the last verse in Psalm 23 is you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that good? That's a powerful picture. Then in Psalm 24, it's called the resurrection song. And that's the one about who is this king of glory? Who is this king of glory? That's so powerful. Okay, so there, so the Psalms begin, they're leading us to a to a place up to Psalm 24. And then in Psalm 24, something, there's another, there's an amazing shift that happens. Okay? And this is what the amazing shift is. It shifts, now I want you to really get this and hear this. It shifts from just the person of Christ. Okay? Just to focus on Him. Because we have to know this. We've got to know this. If you, you will never know the Lord. You will never know the Lord, just the Lord Himself. Because the Lord brings in His stuff. You can't know the Lord just as a person apart from His power. You, as part of His character, as part of His nature. That's how we begin to know God. And so what the psalmist does here is he begins to bring in the house of God in the book of Psalms. And begins to give us glimpses of what it's supposed to be like. Are y'all okay? So let's read Psalm 26, verse 8. This is the first thing it says. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house. I have loved the habitation of your house. See, that's, see this is what God's wanting to paint, the picture He wants to paint for us. This is the heart that God wants us to have about the body of Christ. Lord, I love where you are. I love your house. Okay, that's the first thing. The place where your glory dwells. See, that's the place in the earth in the last days that the glory of the Lord is going to dwell physically and literally in the church. Okay? Then it won't be just the, the pop cult, culture attitude of, of dismissing the church and 
finding fault in the church, it's going to be either love or hate. It won't be an in-between thing. You, you hear what I'm saying? It's going to be, you're either going to love it or hate it. Let us be the people who love it. Psalm 27, verse 4. We know this one so well. One thing I have desired of the Lord. One thing. One thing. That will I seek. I love that. Isn't that such a beautiful way of saying it? This is the heart that God wants in every believer. This is the heart of Christ. This is what He wants you and I to burn with. This is the passion. When we talk about passion, this is passion right here. Uh, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He's not talking about when I pass on and live in heaven. He's talking about right now, today. That's the passion that I have, that I would be in the house of God with God. Isn't that powerful? That's the thing that God wants to put in people. That's the thing that He wants to put in us and that, that motivates us, that encourages us, that our life decisions are based on that. Literally, our life decisions is, are not, would not be based on income or location or geography. It would be located, it would be based on the presence of the Lord. And everything around our life would come from that. That's a foreign way of thinking for most people. Most Christians do not think that way. But God will raise up a people who have that passion. He's raising up a people who have that passion. All through church history, there's been little groups, little pockets, little people here and there that have somehow caught that. Okay? Because it's not something you teach yourself. Certainly it's something we need teaching on. But it's, it's revelation. It's, it's something, it's like a gift from God. And it's a gift that will motivate you all your life, and it will at times be the greatest thing you that you possess, and at times it will be the worst thing you possess. Because it will get you in so much difficulty, but it's worth it. Uh, I will dwell in the house all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. Because that's where God is going to release His beauty. He's going to, the beauty of the Lord. See, the Lord really wants to reveal His beauty. Okay. And to be able to inquire in His temple. That's a very powerful scripture a powerful scripture to pray in your life. Uh, it will de definitely deal with any lukewarm spirit. Can somebody get the air in this room? Because I'm really hot. I'm starting to sweat, and I'm going to make my shirt stink, and, you know, everybody will be unhappy if you hug me. I hugged somebody at the church last Sunday, and I noticed when I did, I lift my arm to hug them, it might knock me down. I swear it's so hard. Too much information, right? <laughs> Anyways, praise the Lord. Like I say, we're not we're in process, right? <laughs> Listen to Psalms thirty six, verse eight. Uh, they are abundantly they being the people who are in the house, they are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. The fullness. See, that's how what God's going to reveal when I say there's going to be a place of fullness. There's going to be a place where there's not really lack. Okay? That we can be taken care of. We can have every physical need, every emotional need, every spiritual need met because there's no lack in the Father's house. There's no lack in the kingdom. There's not... God wants to break off in people that poverty spirit that lives from counting, from, you know, counting everything and living from... I don't have enough. He wants to get us out of that mode because it's poverty, and there's no poverty. Then it says, you give them the drink from the river of your pleasures. There's pleasure there. God really wants to release the pleasure of the Lord into people's lives. Are you convinced of that? Oh, Psalm 68, verse 5 says something that's very powerful. A father of the fatherless. That's a revelation of the father, both uh, literally, uh, naturally, and both spiritually for the spiritual orphans that that are, you know, plague in the world. Uh, I do say plague in the world because uh, orphan spirit makes you be messed up. He's a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. Isn't that powerful? See, now these are little snapshots of what God is saying. This is what I, when God looks at the body of Christ today in the earth, that's what he sees. It may not, it's like we said about our, our, our thing we were saying out there. We may not actually be living that, but God is saying, no, that's what I see. 
That's what I'm going for. That's, that's my dream. That's my vision for you. That's my vision for this church and for every church. That's powerful to me. All right, now we're getting to Psalm 84. There's many more. By the way, I'm just, this, is half, this is halfway into the Psalms, a little over halfway. It's 150 of them. This is 84. But there's many, psalm, many other things, but, you know, we don't want to take all day. Right? Yes, amen. <laughs> this is how lovely is your tabernacle uh, or how lovely is your dwelling place. See, God wants to give you that view. I don't know what lens you have on this morning when you look at church. Okay? I don't know what you think when you walk into church. Okay? I don't know if you come into the church because, well, that's what I do. That's what I'm supposed to do. Well, I kind of want to. You know, I kinda, you know, there's many different reasons. But really what God wants, he, he's looking for an expectation in people. You see, God will move when there's an expectation. There, God, if God could find a place on the earth where there's people who come, not just to come, but they come looking to meet Him. They come with this expectation that He's going to be there. A lot of times people miss God when God is present, right? Like Jacob when he said, surely God is in this place and I did not know it. Okay, it's a lack of expectation. It's a lack of seeing something. I think I've shared with you before, you know, as a young believer, we were absolutely full of expectation. For some reason, I don't know why, but we expected God to do stuff. We were born again during a move of God, what they call the Jesus movement. We were the most shocked people on the earth when that stopped, and we found out there was just a whole other thing that went on. Like, really? This is the way Christianity really is? And we were like, God, I mean, this thought came to mind. I don't know if I'd have bought into this deal if, if this other thing wouldn't have been happening. It's like God tricked me in a way. I'll trick you in. Here's the bad news. It's like getting married, okay? You marry this beautiful woman that you love to death, and you find out she mashes a toothpaste in the middle, and you're stunned. I will never forget seeing that when I thought, Becky, I can't believe she does that. She mashes the toothpaste in the middle and doesn't even put the <laughs> and doesn't even put the lid back on it. And it's all runny on the side. It was just, I was totally dis- distraught with that thought. Uh-uh. <laughs> Now, see, if you hang around, what was that scripture talks about, you know, yeah, you hang around the wrong person, they're going to influence you badly. Anyways, what was I talking about? I was talking about how God tricked me and many of us and brought us into this wonderful move of God. And where we, when we would go to church, we believed God was going to be there and he was going to do something outrageous or he was just going to do something. We just knew it. To us, going to church was not going to church. It was going to meet God. It was going to have an encounter with God. We were afraid to miss church. Literally. We didn't want to. We scheduled our lives around. We've got to be at this place because we know God is going to do something. That didn't diminish our own personal thing. Okay? Because we were getting a personal thing by being in a corporate thing. But somehow the church has lost all that. But God's going to restore that to people, where people feel that way and have that hunger and desire. Not for the church itself, but for that person, that presence of God. Let me tell you, let me just tell you, this: everything that really counts in your life comes from the presence of the Lord. I was reading this, this guy who was uh, like a Ph.D. counselor guy, but he's also spiritual. That's very good. Right? Because he's got both worlds going. Brains and spirituality. Some of us have brains. Some of us have spirituality. I, I would like to have both. Anyways, he was talking about New Year's resolutions. And he went through a list of things. What does it, he was talking about what does it really require for you to have lasting change in your life. And one, he had several things. But one of them he said was the presence of the Lord. You have to, there has to be the presence of the Lord that you engage in your life for real change to last and continue. And I say that's the truth. I say it's the truth biblically because when you look through the Bible, it's those people who had encounters with the Lord that their lives became something different. In my life, it's encounters with the Lord that really just radically changed everything about me. Okay? And so God really wants people to have these radical encounters with Him. They're available. But see, the problem is not on God's end. 
It's really not. It's our thinking. It's our way of thinking. That's why Jesus said, Jesus said this, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. When he said repent, it, did, it meant change the way you think. Yeah. It didn't just say change thoughts. Change the way you think. When you change the way you think, you can see his kingdom. You can know his kingdom. You can embrace the spiritual side. You can have this. So we had a way of thinking about church in those days. God was going to be there. We didn't want to miss it. He was going to encounter us in some way. We didn't know how. Half the time we were scared when he showed up. But we did have the encounters over and over and over. And that's why we loved the presence of the Lord. That's why we fell in love with the church. Well, we sort of fell out of love with it when God stopped moving for whatever. That's another story. But God is going to cause a people to fall in love with his presence. Fall in love with him where we will do anything to be with him. And I tell you, that place, that time is for today. It's just not for tomorrow. It's for now. And I believe when we begin to say, Lord, I am that person. I want to be that person. Amen? Amen. Anyways, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, O Lord of armies, literally. My soul, here it is, my soul longs, yes, even faints for the court of the Lord. If a man in the Old Testament could write that, we're talking Old Testament men that wrote this. This, that Some say, oh, this was David, you know, the sons of Korah, but these were not people in the New Covenant. These were not people who had Christ living inside of them. Okay, these are people that God would come and sit on for a while and leave, and, you know, back and forth kind of. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what it's all about. This is, this is the essence, this is the core of Christianity. This is the core of it. This is the core of your life. Otherwise, Christianity is kind of a boring, go-through-the-motions thing, get through this, get some principles to do better, act better, live better, be nicer, act cooler, say cool things, you know, have something different, have another club. It's just kind of spiritual, pseudo-spiritual. Yeah, do a good tweet here and there. Maybe put something on your Facebook that sounds profound, yet like you're, but you're the biggest jerk on the planet. You know, everybody thinks you're cool because they don't know you, really. They don't wake up in the morning and look at your sorry hide and know all them downsides on you. Right? Come on now. Becky said that to me one day. They think you something. You ain't nothing. I know, what, I know everything about you. <laughs> and this, then it goes on. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. A day, just a moment in God's presence, everything can change instantaneously for you. Everything. Everything, everything, everything. And that's, see, that's the desire that God wants us to have. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. In other words, I'll, I'll be glad to just stand at the door if I could just be near Him. Just near Him. I would rather do that than live out there in this world of wickedness that seems pleasurable for a moment in time. But it's not. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. I've jumped down actually a few verses here. A sun and shield. And the Lord will give grace and glory. He will give grace and glory. He will be a sun and shield. They're not saying, well, if you pray hard enough, if you do this, you do that. No, they're saying this is who He is. They knew His character. They knew His heart. They knew something about God that nobody else knew. They knew He'll give His grace. He'll give His glory. He will manifest Himself to you. They believed it. And it wasn't because of something we do. It's because of something He is and who He is. And He wants us to know Him like that. No good thing, let me see, no good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. And who are those who are walking uprightly? It's the ones who says, my heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Those are the ones that the Lord looks upon. Those are the ones that draw the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is not drawn to criticism and, and, and you know, being negative. He's drawn to people who say, I may be messed up. I may be lacking in my life, but I have a hunger for you regardless. And I know that hunger is a gift. 
It's not something I created in me. It's something you gave me. And I acknowledge that. And he looks upon that and says, because like is attracted to like in the spiritual realm. When we become critical uh, people, you know what is attracted to us? Critical things, bad things, the negative realm, the other things. That's it's true. Okay, so, but there's so many different... I didn't want to go on anymore. I, there's so many different aspects of the Lord's house in the book of Psalms. These are flat, like little snapshots, snapshot, 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 snapshot of what God's heart yearns for. Okay? Yearns for. God has guaranteed, I'll tell you this, He has guaranteed the church will be glorious. He's guaranteed it. Why has He guaranteed it? Because Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He's the first stone the Bible says, that's been set in place of the church. Then the foundation was laid, the apostles' teachings. Okay, they didn't have the Bible. They didn't have anything. They had a relationship with the Lord. They had the Old Testament. That They saw Christ. They saw the living Christ. They touched this person. Okay, they touched Jesus. Put that Ephesians 1 up there, Jonathan. They touched him. They touched Jesus. They saw his scars. And they took what they saw and they began to teach the people, more than likely using the Old Testament verses, some of I just read to you, about, remember how Jesus said he expounded to those guys on the road to the Emmaus about himself through the Scriptures? Well, I can see the apostles like, okay, now, guys, this is what the church looks like. It's built up of people who are hungry, who are crying out for them, reading Psalm 84 and these different Psalms. Anyways... Let me just read this to you. Praise the Lord. This Psalm, uh, Ephesians 2, is really good. But let me just say this. The main characteristic, the main thing about the church is the presence of the Lord. That's the main thing. That's the number one thing. That's the overriding, the chief cornerstone that's been set into the church. The chief, that's the main, that's what makes it everything. Without that, there's no guarantee. Without that, it's just useless. But he has guaranteed us something. He has placed himself into this. And he's asked us, reference your life off of me. Because we all are living stars. And he has said, attach to me. Plug yourself into me. Connect to me. Okay? That's what he's saying. And I guarantee you that a day will come when the glorious temple will arise in the earth. But, and it says he came. I love this verse 70. He came and preached peace to you who are far off. And to those who were near. In other words, in God's economy, everybody is a, you know, a target or you know, a target group or whatever you know word you want to use. Everybody is in line. I don't care who you are, far off, near. You, hey, you're in line to hear peace. Peace. That's what he said. A peace. You can have peace in your life. You can have peace with me. For through Him, through Him, we both have access. By one spirit to who? The Father. Everybody in this room, you have access to the Father. Everybody, we have access to the Father. And that's good news, isn't it? Isn't that the most life-changing thing? We have access to God the Father, the person who's up there in heaven, the, the ancient of days. We have access to Him, His presence. But we, and we're not taking advantage of it fully. Some of us are not taking advantage of it at all. Because we have these beliefs. All right. I love that. Now, therefore, you are no longer, what, strangers and foreigners. But this is, like, so here's the first revelation we need. If you're going to have a good revelation about church, you've got to have a revelation about the kingdom. Fellow citizens of a kingdom, when we begin to get revelation about the kingdom of heaven, that's going to establish our hearts because then... It says, we're fellow citizens, understood of the kingdom of God. That's what we are. Not this world, but the kingdom. And with the saints and members of the household of God. We're members of his house. This McCafferty family that came out here with all this crowd of young'uns, however many they got, they're all members of a household. They're all members that every night they sit down at the supper table. That daddy has provided the money and mama has cooked the meal. 
And they go to bed that has been provided for them. And they wake up in the morning, they got somebody caring about them. they got somebody looking over their lives. And that's what we are. God wants us to see that every day of our life, that we can sit at His table. And that He's looking over our life. He's caring for us. He's concerned about the details of our life. Wanting to make sure you're off, off to school on time. And you're getting good grades. And, you know, you're doing a good job at work. All those things He wants to be involved in in your life. Because that's what a father does. He, he pays attention to that in his, in his children's life and makes sure they're healthy and, and growing up uh, the way that they're supposed to. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Okay? Now, that's what I was talking about. The, 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 those guys really releasing what they had when the church was born. Releasing this revelation of this person of Christ. Okay? And these pictures that he gave of what life should be like. Uh, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Isn't that powerful? That's where the guarantee is at. See, we don't want to mess with the foundation. You don't touch the foundation. The foundation is set. You know, we had a terrible thing to happen with the roof on this building, okay? And we had to leave. And at one point, they wanted to condemn the building. They didn't want to condemn the building because... It was not repairable. They wanted to condemn the building because the guy who wanted to condemn it didn't want to mess with it. And because he was liable, because he saw it, he had to do something. That's why they wanted to condemn it. It was just, he didn't, I don't have time to mess with this. So I'm going to have to condemn it. I'm sorry. Mm, we'll get somebody else. You know, and the other guy said, well, I can fix it. But if it had been the foundation, you lose the foundation. If something happens to the foundation, you're done. You had to scrape it because the foundation is what holds the whole building up. Are y'all following that? So we don't, the foundation is set. We have the foundation. Now we are being built into that foundation. We, me and you and I, God is building us in it. Living stones, imperfect as we are, and, and, and as lacking as we are. And it goes on, it says, in whom the whole building being fitted. See, God fits us perfectly. You may not feel perfect. You may not feel like you even fit. But the Bible says He fits you. He shaped you and put you somewhere. He's placed you somewhere. That's the only way to do it is allow Him to fit you. You can't fit yourself. That's why there's so much pettiness with people about church and stuff. It's insane. And every church has pettiness about, I'm jealous, I'm this, I'm that, that person, this, you know, just crazy. God says, I have fitted somebody in the place He's given you, nobody else can have. And when we begin to see God has given me a place, no one else can have this place. This is an honorable place because it's been set, I've been set here by the Lord Himself. Then you're not worried about everybody else, right? All right. Grows into the temple, into a holy temple in the Lord. There's a growth. That's what, he, that's what I was trying to tell you. We have to grow. We have to become something that we're not. That's really key for us to understand. We're growing. We're growing. In whom you also are being built together for what? A dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That's what God is doing. He's building a dwelling place for Himself. And just like I said earlier, you know, you can take a house that's under construction and say it's raining real hard and the roof's not on it yet. You could find a lot of fault with that house. Well, I can't live in this house. This is a sorry house. Look at it. It's no good. Well, it's not finished yet. So when we look at the body of Christ in the earth, we can say this, this, and this. But they're not finished yet. Give the Lord a chance. Give God opportunity to do what He's going to do. And then let me just finish up here. Are y'all good? We haven't, I don't think we've lived up to those little pictures I give you in the psalm. Okay, the beauty of the Lord. A father to the fatherless. A husband to the widows. We're way short of that. But God is saying, that's my dream. That's my vision. I will grow you into that. In the last days, I'm going to give you another Old Testament scripture. Isaiah 2, 2 through 4. It says, now it shall come past come to pass in the latter days that the mountain, don't you love this, the mountain. What does mountains represent in the Bible? High places, places of authority, places of government. The mountain of the Lord's house. The mountain, the government of the Lord's house. The glory of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains or on top of all the mountains. In other words, God says in the last days the church this is the church he's talking about. This is you and I. If we are there, 
If we're alive in that moment, if we're not, maybe little Isaac will be the guy. And the little Isaac's around him. He'll be the guy who will experience this and see this. Some generation will see it. You know what we're going to do? What we want to do is we want to give them a higher foundation, a higher level than we got. We started out on a floor. Hopefully we can build many floors up so when they start like, wow, hey, we're nine stories up. Dad, you were two stories down. Man, your revelation was weak. Oh, well, it was great in your day, Daddy. Thank you for it. But you built something for me that I can stand on that's glorious. Every generation don't need to go back and start over. All right, now we're on the, down here on the foundation. We've got to start and build up. No, every generation should be building up. That's what we're determined. I love that. And this top of the mountain shall be exalted above all the hills, above the hills. And all nations, listen to this, all nations shall flow to it. I'm talking, they didn't say come to it, they said flow. You know what flow means? It means this roar, it doesn't stop. It's like a river that's just flowing. Nations flowing to the church, looking for this manifest presence, looking for the beauty of the Lord, because at that point they will know there's nothing else. All this worldliness, all this grace, Read all this temporal stuff that would, for so many generations put the people put their hearts in. Now there's something. We are seeing something. And these, this beautiful person has come into the temple. And the glory of God is resting. That's what God wants for us. They're going to flow to it. We're going to have the soul train. Remember that TV show, The Soul Tank Train, back in the day? It started out, they had this little cartoon figure of a train coming. I could see that train of people flowing, souls flowing into the house of God. Many people should come and say, listen to this, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And instead of people making fun of the church, instead of people having their pop culture, cool sounding this in the church, people are going to be saying, let us go. Let us go. Let us go there. I'm telling you, it's going to happen because it's written. Right? Let us go to the mountain Lord, to the house of the God. He will teach us His ways. He will. Not some preacher who don't really know a heck of a lot. He, the Lord, will manifest However he does it through different people, but he will manifest and people will know that's the voice of God speaking to me. He's going to teach us about his ways. And then we will walk in his paths. Isn't that powerful? For out of Zion, that's the beauty of the Lord. That's the glorious Lord. That's us. God is saying to us this morning, that is your potential. Or that is your children, your grandchildren's future. That's what he's saying. He's saying there will be a people. And whether it's you or them, there will be a people. But for them to be that people, we need to be that people by faith now. We need to begin to say yes to the Lord today. Lord, your presence is everything. We exalt your presence above all things, Lord. You are number one, and every one of us is number two. There's no number three people. There's Jesus and everybody else. He's on the one plane, we're all on the next plane. He's on the, at the head of the boat, we're all in the boat. Are y'all following this? Yeah, and for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Isn't that a beautiful scripture? He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. But listen what will happen. They shall beat their swords in the plowshares. You know, sword is an instrument of war. Plowshare is an agricultural instrument to, to plant gardens, food, flowers, green things for people to enjoy, to live off of, to make the earth the Garden of Eden. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And see, that's going to happen when the beauty of the Lord comes in the last days. It's going to happen when Christ is in the temple. And the temple, you know, comes down out of heaven. You know, you know, somebody, help us, Lord. You know, 
I was asking the Lord, okay, this inspires me hugely, but I'm inspired already. You know, when I walk out of here tomorrow morning, tomorrow night, I'm still inspired about this. I'm still moved by this. I'm moved by this in my life. Okay? But not everybody in this room is moved by this in life, in their life. Not everybody is moved by the presence of the Lord. Not everybody has this desire in them. Not everybody has this revelation of the glory of the Lord. Not every Christian does. But yet God desires for all of us to have it. Nobody's special. I didn't get this revelation because I was special. In fact, when I got this revelation, if you know what was going on in my mind, you would escort me out the door right now. I was as a corrupt a Christian as I could possibly be. I was full of thoughts that were not very good. Just leave it at that. Yet somehow God looked down from heaven and said, that guy, I'm going to give him something. Because to tell you the truth, if I don't, he's, he's not going to make it. So I'm going to give him a gift. I'm going to give him a revelation of my presence. I'm going to give him a passion for my presence. And I'm going to, it's going to take me a long time, but I'm going to teach that boy. I'm going to teach him how to love my presence and keep loving my presence and keep loving my presence and keep loving my... And when the chips go down and when nothing works, he's going to get up and keep loving my presence. It was a gift of God. It was a grace of God. And, and that we would never be satisfied... We wouldn't be satisfied with something that's less than His manifest presence. We wouldn't be satisfied with the Christianity of principles. And I like principles. I like, you know, you just do these things, just, you know, blah, blah, you know, you know, stewardship. I, all that's important. I'm not diminishing any of it. But if that's all you, we have, we lack the most important thing. It's Him. We lack His presence. So our principles become just heartless things. And they wind up walking all over everybody else because of the principle. When he says, no, you don't need to walk on nobody. Pick them up and take them with you. And sooner or later, they'll catch it. And they're going to be all right. In fact, they may even take, add something to you one day. So, amen? Lord, give us that. Give it to us, Lord. Please give it to us. Lord, please don't let us be a church that just comes to church. Lord, please be a, let us be a people who come in looking for you. And the only way we're going to be that if you show up and begin to demonstrate your beauty to people. Because we can't just do it by ourselves. Lord, we need you to show us your glory. We need you to let us see your beauty and give us that gift of passion and love. That's, that's it. Lord, please give that to me. And then, you know, Lord, you'll help us with our problems. Amen. Amen. Yeah. You know, this is really exciting, and I think one of the best beginning-of-the-year messages you could have because I really feel like we were talking about this this week because Matthew had a meeting with a group this week that he was saying to them that it was like a meeting about what we need to do. It wasn't at the church, but... And he was trying to say to him, we need, really need to get the spiritual things from the Lord. And they would hear it, and then a minute later they'd say, what he's saying is good, but what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? And Matthew, oh, we were just saying, it's, it seems so simple that we really need to set our heart on the Lord. That seems simple, but it's really profound. It's profound. And I believe what the Lord's saying to us is we need to, we need to instead of trying to figure out the answers, because he wants us to ask him, okay, but instead of trying to figure out the answers, the principle, you know, he's saying set, reset. It's time to reset and reset your life to him, to him. Just reset, and it's like, it's like he's saying, I want to be the center of your life and in any way if he has kind of you've moved him out of the center and moved other things in the center and your focus the lord's given us that thing today he's saying i'm giving you an invitation i want to be the center i want to be the center of your life and then all the answers all the things the things that you're looking for answers in your life in your home in your job all those things that you really are real they're real, and he cares about those. But the most profound thing is what Byron's saying today, is that we get set. 
we get set with him being our whole life being relative to him being relative to his presence and then the rest of everything is just going to fall into place so i just want us to all have the opportunity right now to just let the lord come Lord, we want to bow to you this morning with our whole lives. I want to just have the opportunity to say, Lord, we want to say we surrender to you, Lord God. We surrender our lives. We surrender our hearts. We say, Lord, come be the center. Lord God, be the center of our lives, Lord Jesus. We want to be those that are hungry and thirsty for your presence, Lord. So that gift. Lord, we're asking for that afresh this morning. Holy Spirit, come afresh, Lord, whoa, and just deposit a hunger, deposit a thirst afresh in us, Lord, for your presence, Lord God, because we know that everything, everything is falls in place in your presence everything every little thing lord is going to be all right lord we just want more of you lord god more of you jesus and we thank you lord and i pray lord jesus that you would come and fall afresh on each one here today lord god and that you would release answers you would release wisdom from on high all that would come Lord, with just setting our eyes on you, Lord Jesus, that intimacy <coughs> into me see, Lord, just let it come, Lord. We say yes to you. If you just want to say yes, just say it right now, Lord. Yes to you, Lord God. Yes to you, Lord Jesus. Yes to your presence more in our lives, Lord God. More, Lord Jesus. Yes to you. Yes to you in all your ways. In all your ways. We acknowledge you, Lord, and you're going to direct our paths, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So why don't we just all stand together. Maybe in this new year, you just need to invite the presence of the Lord to come into your life for the first time. To change the way that you think. See the kingdom to let Jesus be the Lord of your life. Come up here as we're dismissing here. Brian and Jen, if you guys will come. Our prayer team. There's somebody here to pray with you. So you can meet. They'll introduce you to Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. If you're sick this morning of any kind, you need prayer for healing, please come up here. Myself and Eric, we'd be glad to pray with you. Or for any other need. But Lord, we just do invite your presence. We want to host your presence in our home, Lord. In our, our, in our home homes, Lord, at home, God. I just ask for your presence to invade our space, Lord. Just come, over, come in and give us a Holy Ghost makeover, Lord, in our houses. A remodel, God, in our homes, Lord. Let the peace of Christ rule there. Bless you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Be blessed.